0: And he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Crazy to Coyle. And the Leafs are most again.
1: Hi hey there. Welcome to the Nessun Bruins Podcast. I'm Nessun.com's Mike Cole. Joined, as always, by Nessun.com's Logan Mullen. Logan, how are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Not bad. Are you... Uh... Uh, you were you on the move recently it seems like Uh,
0: yeah left Connecticut on Tuesday yeah is Wednesday morning and I am back in my apartment in Boston far less space but uh, a little bit more familiar
1: I I like to think I don't know what your reasons are but I'd like to think that this is a sign that you know you have some sort of uh, tell or uh, information or something this looking is looking into the future yeah we're getting closer towards uh, <laughs> to normalcy <laughs> no, but,
0: no there there were logistical reasons that i needed to be back
1: here um, whatever i like my
0: independent of me
1: yeah i like my reasoning better though let's just assume that this is uh, a sign that we're returning returning toward normal that's yeah. uh that's the, the, the
0: what left. what better way to do that than by talking about 2011
1: yeah exactly so that's uh we are going to uh, Zoom calls about the 2011 Bruins are all the rage right now, so we're going to do our own today. Uh, I think ours is going to be a little more, uh, a little safer for work than the, the 2011 Bruins reunion was uh, on, the, on their YouTube page Tuesday night as they watched along with Game 7 of the 11 Cup Final on Nesson. Uh, we will get into that momentarily. Before we do, though, let's just uh, – a quick update on where things stand with the 2020 NHL season. Uh, the new info is that there really is no info. Um, this feels like the first week in a while that there hasn't been any sort of update really one way or another. Um, and I'm not sure if that's good or bad news. Uh, I guess it's just it is what it is. At this point, we're all kind of just waiting this thing out and hoping that, uh, you know, we get some good news, you know, in some regard. Um, I guess, you know, you brought this up as we were about to come on. The uh, the governor of uh, New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, said on WEI last week that Manchester is very open or New Hampshire in general is very open to hosting some sort of hockey at some point this year. He said that they've had talks with the NHL. He said he can't say much more and then he continued to kind of tip his hand about that. Uh, It sounds like New Hampshire and the NHL are talking. Uh, New Hampshire is very much open to hosting hockey games at some point if they do return this year uh, without fans. And it sounds like they're not alone. So I think the most likely option right now is we're going to have what, like regionals kind of like the frozen four or the final four where there might be, you know, the New Hampshire regional and the North Dakota regional and, you know, in places where maybe uh, coronavirus hasn't really decimated the area or places where there's multiple rinks with hotels. So I guess the fact that they're continuing to have those conversations can be seen as a good thing. I don't know. Other than that, not a whole lot to,
0: yeah, it just reaffirms kind of what we've already known, which is the league is hell-bent on not necessarily finishing the regular season, but trying to finish at least the 2019-20 season in some form or fashion, or that they're willing to go to essentially any lengths possible to do that. And, I mean, Chris Anunu just outright admitted that, right? You know, yeah. that's not just – I don't know if anyone's necessarily smoke screening anything right now, but it's not just – something to get fans worked up about. Like, the, there's there's legs to some of the rumors.
1: Uh, I will say, too, uh, some guy named Wayne Gretzky said that he believes yep. uh, there will be hockey again this year, which, again, might be wishful thinking at this point. But Lou Lamorello
0: said the same thing, too. Right, yeah, I,
1: which is weird, though, because, like, they all have either directly or indirectly pretty strong <laughs> investments in interest. hockey. Yeah. yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, too. I don't, I don't know um I had one other tidbit oh the uh the draft I thought this was interesting. oh yeah, yeah. Pierre LeBron, I think it was uh reported the draft could still happen in June mm-hmm. virtually while the playoffs might be going on at the same time which is yeah. weird at this point like the draft might precede the playoffs which would be yeah I
0: mean, it very well could
1: uh but that's definitely I think that's a of certainty no matter when they do it that's going to be virtual.
0: I would yeah, I would suspect that they're going to be watching very closely exactly. what happens this weekend yep. with the NFL. And as long as it looks like some semblance of a decent product and that there aren't, you know, abject failures technologically that that's probably the avenue they'll pursue. Uh, at least in the uh, where we get dicey is at least in the NFL's case they were able to have the combine, right? Yeah, like right. with a lot of these guys in the NHL draft, you're probably going In a sense, sight unseen, right? Like like they've scouted those guys. They have film on it. They're not complete unknowns, but it is different than having a combine or something to that effect.
1: I feel like it's far more difficult to do it that I mean, I don't know. It would be nice to maybe we're looking at having finding a scout who's or somebody who was a part of this process at some point. It seems more difficult in the NHL, to be honest with you. Like there's no I mean, you could argue junior hockey in Canada or whatever, but like, there's really – there's no SEC for hockey. You know what I mean? Right. So, it's like – it's hard – I think, I would imagine it's harder to find information, good film, et cetera, et cetera, or even like a representative, uh, you know, like the film might – you know, what good does it do if a guy's averaging three points a game in like a – you know, in a junior league somewhere or like a high school or, you know, yeah. however you want to – Break it down. It's a much easier to see, like Davion Clowney a few years ago, just <laughs> right. wrecking the SEC, and be like, "Yeah, he's playing against other grown guys boys. who are going to the NFL." Yeah, right. So I don't know. It'll be interesting, but again, with you know, with the NFL, the NHL, any sort of thing in this regard, everybody's in the same boat. So I think it's it's right. equal footing. Um, real quick, what's your uh, what's your weekly update oh, on your confidence update. scale?
0: I think last week I went up. I think I went to a five. I think I'm back down to a four. Um, I, I don't know. It's, there really wasn't much to go off of this week except yeah. for the stuff we've already seen, which is like well, next person says they're encouraged, it'll come back, and the NHL is keeping all their options open. I probably won't have another firm opinion until we get some sort of direction about when the league recommended self-quarantine for players and
1: staff ends. Oh, actually, interesting. One other point. Guys are skating in Sweden.
0: Oh, that, Right. Like, and per usual, Joakim Nordstrom might be more prepared than anyone else.
1: There you go. Uh, which is an interesting, like, moral thing. It's like the NHL told them to self-quarantine, but that was a, a suggestion. As, you know, it right.
0: It was not life. a mandate. It was right. not a so, mandate.
1: Um, in terms of the scale, I, well, I think it was like a two and a half last week. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll stay there because I don't know how you can go up when we're one week. Right. We've burned another seven days of time. You know what I mean? So I'm going to stay there uh there wasn't really any much movement so we'll see
0: I'm i'm back to my original spot i don't know if this is where i always was i forget but just bag it like it's not worth having this season just start next year on time and let's be on our
1: way but we'll see the weather once the weather starts changing that's when it's gonna get weird like yeah it was like 34 degrees this morning so i was like oh this is still hockey weather but like when it gets when we're having this conversation mid may it's gonna be
0: yeah and it's 70 degrees out yeah Yeah.
1: all right uh let's get to to what we're we're here for the main event if you will uh talk about the 2011 bruins and we don't really have any guidelines as to what you and i are going to talk about here we're just going to have a a nice little free-flowing conversation reminisce about the good old days for the boston bruins um i i will say i so did you watch the entire zoom call
0: I caught most of it,
1: not all. So, like, the chirps aside, whatever, I, I just think the biggest thing that I took away from this was, like, these guys are genuinely likable, and I think that yeah. that was my biggest takeaway at the time. In hindsight, that remains my biggest takeaway, and, like, watching them interact again last night, and kind of reflecting on that. I, like, this is, if you're a Boston sports fan, I don't know, football is such a Big thing around here or everywhere, but like for me, when I look back as a kid growing up, or I mean, I was actually working at Nesson when the Bruins won the cup, that's you know how long I've been there. But like, uh, I look at like the 11 Bruins right below like the 2004 Red Sox in terms of teams that I, I really just enjoyed watching play yeah. and in, you know enjoyed the idea of and everything. And the fact that they became the first team to win the cup in, in 40 years in Boston is, is insanity, it's just like you see it again in the replays It's like winning the Stanley cup is just cool as hell. Like, I don't know. I I feel like I'm spinning my wheels here, but I just, that was the, that's like the big takeaway. It's just, it was a likable team that did something really special.
0: Well, and I think in retrospect, it's easy to forget just how good they were. Yeah. Like, Like I was looking at the names on that zoom call and it's like Michael Ryder was playing the third line on that team and he was like easily a top six winger on pretty much any NHL team back then like that fourth line whether they had Sagan or Thornton playing like just an absolute wagon with Gregory Campbell and Danny Paillet it was like they just even as the years have gone on it's really only further validated just how good they were because Brad Marchand at that time was a relative unknown and then you're like oh crap they had you know Brad Marchand playing with Mark Recchi and Patrice Bergeron it's like how do you stop that um so and, and I did find it comical too I mean it sounds like they don't necessarily keep an active touch but they're in contact with one another I mean they got most of those guys back for the 2019 cup final to be the fan banner you guys I think it was for game one
1: um, yeah, but a right, good yeah. chunk
0: of them were back. I mean, some of them still work in but, hockey ops. Some they, of them are still playing. You know, Chris yeah. Kelly's still in the organization. Sean Thornton works for the Panthers. Um, you know, a lot of those guys are hanging around in different places. Uh, but it was just funny how comfortable they still were with one another. Like, you know, you've got Michael Ryder chirping Thomas Cavalier and, you know, guys who might not have seen each other for a long time still just, you know, riffing like they haven't missed anything. It's, uh, it was a pretty interesting dynamic to watch.
1: Yeah, it's true. Like there was, uh, it, it was like they hadn't missed a a step, and like I do think it was pretty cool that they got. I'm just looking at the roster right now. Like Lucic still plays, so like, I don't know. I don't know if there's like some sort of code or something where you're not supposed to do something with your old team if you're. St- I mean, I that was yeah.
0: interesting too.
1: But like Lucic plays still. Uh, obviously Sagan, he was there. Uh, I mean, even, like, Recchi works for the Penguins, I think it is. Gregory Campbell
0: works for uh, the Blue Jackets. Right, yeah. Those guys haven't only just done this. Like, we've been doing the Twitter takeover things. And, like, Gregory Campbell was running the Bruins Twitter account for a night. Milan Lucic was doing the same thing. It's, like, uh, this is such a unique situation, so this is probably the time that you make exceptions, right? Like, otherwise we probably would not be doing this, uh, you know, if there was not a global pandemic. but right. It is interesting how it's just kind of like, in some respects, just no rules.
1: Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the numbers. Do you know who led that team in points that year, regular season?
0: Regular season, it was Recchi, wasn't it?
1: No, no, no. It was was it it was tied. It was Lucic and Krejci. I'm Ah. just looking. It's nuts. Sixty two points led that team. I mean, sport was a little bit different, but (laughs) yeah, Recchi had forty eight points. He was fifth. Yeah, it wasn't even close. That was the crazy thing, too, is watching that 2011 or the uh, game seven. Uh, like, Recky had that one breakaway where he got basically knocked ass over tea kettle. But there was like a burst there for a guy who was 42 years old at the time. Yeah. He was still going. That guy's a hell of a hockey player to your original point, like a Hall of Famer. Like, the guy yeah, was just, right. you know, I mean, I, I know he's at the end of the road, but like, uh, it's just a tremendous hockey failure great drinker too by the way he was (laughs) (laughs) a lot
0: of them were yeah that's (laughs) a good (laughs) point a lot of them did well for themselves
1: the uh the the merlot thing not a gimmick no no it's a way of life living that yeah 2011 bruins team so um i don't know what else uh just that uh, from the actual hockey standpoint um i i think you know i was watching last night and you're almost not nervous but you're like they were at, for a second there, it's like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to go? Like, they hadn't won a game in Vancouver. They didn't really look great at, you know, for good chunks of – I mean, they certainly didn't look like the Canucks did when the Canucks came to Boston. But, no. like, it, you know, going back to Vancouver, you're in a tough spot there. You hadn't won there. They're, this is this team had so much balls, like, really, like,
0: well, you know, and, winning
1: game sevens throughout that, you know, even going back to the first round, you're down two games, going into Montreal in the first round. like crazy resiliency from that team. Yeah,
0: and it's easy to forget, too, just how good the Canucks were that
1: year, right. too.
0: And never mind the fact that they beat the Canucks, but, I mean, they completely neutralized the Sedins. Like, I, and I know that people rib the Sedins for that nowadays, but... I mean, they really did. Just I think one of the Sadin brothers didn't have a single point until I think it was game six. Well, Henrik, uh, I game, think it was,
1: because Henrik yeah. scored in game six, and that was, like, the first point he had the entire series.
0: Yeah, and in game uh, seven, both Sadin twins were on the ice for all four goals. Like, they just undressed two guys who were, you know, top, what, at that point, top ten players in the league. Yeah, um,
1: yeah and, like, and they bullied them, too, you know, because – they, there was the one thing where Marshawn gets on the ice. Well, I think it was right in front of the Bruins bench. And he, like, slashes Sadin. I forget how Sadin was as he skates by. Slashes him. Like, circles back around into the uh, setting up for the face-off. Like, basically hip-checks him. Yeah. then, like, Sadin finally starts to slash him back a little bit. He cross-checks him. Like, they just –
0: It was the wild, in, wild go, west. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So awesome. just, I think yeah. that's the other thing, too, is, like, I, I don't know if we're ever going to get – I mean, you know, Bruins Blues got pretty testy, but, like, I don't know if we're ever going to have a, a series like that again. Like, and you can no. go back, maybe, like, a divisional series, but even then it's just such a different style of hockey even in the last 10 years. Like, I, I think back to, like, that uh, the Canadian Senators series a few years ago, that was at least, you know, a divisional rival. Like, you can't, it's so hard for two teams that don't play a lot to build up that level of hate. It was awesome. Yeah. It, oh.
0: it is funny to watch how – you know, it, it was only nine years ago. Like it feels like an eternity at this in, in some yeah. senses, and then in other respects, like it really wasn't that long ago, but, you watch those games and you watch how much things have changed. Like in game three, when they combined for the, it was like 96 penalty minutes in the third period. And you've got, you know, Milan Lucci spearing Alex Burroughs in the nether regions and then punching him as he goes to the ground. It's like, that would be a very long suspension if he well, did that nowadays, like that you want to talk about series changing dynamics. I mean, you know, look at what, uh, Ivan Barbashev and Oscar Sundquist got suspended for like right. two guys got one game for the blues during the most recent Stanley cup. And it was like, if so many things that happened during that Bruins Canucks series on both sides would be suspendable if it happened nowadays. And it's very funny watching Milan Lucic and Brad and guys who play with edge like that back then, just I don't want to say unhinged, but they, they were not tied down to some sort of fear about, you know, getting, it's suspended or supplemental discipline or anything.
1: It was funny. I think there was at least – I mean, there was at least one time, maybe two. I think even Chara mentioned it. It was early in that game, and I, I forget who it was. It would have, might have been Glass or, I don't know, Hanson. I, somebody just basically did a drive-by and just smoked Chara at the blue line <laughs> behind the play, and they showed replays of it. And Chara even – like, Chara didn't say anything uh, in the Zoom call. And he's like – yeah, that'd be, like, two games these days if that yeah. happened. Like, and it was just casual. Was just like, on with it. Um, yeah. It is – it's nuts. That other – the other thing, too, watching this series, I mean, this is going to sound like completely homer, but I don't care. I mean, their, their resumes speak for themselves. That Canucks team seriously might have been, like, one of the most unlikable teams of all time unless you live in British yeah. Columbia.
0: Well, it didn't help that they had traded for Maxime Lapierre. Right. And- so, they had – and A team I team with
1: Max Lapierre and Rafi Torres, Is it speaks for itself. like Right.
0: Well, and Alex Burroughs too. Like, Alex Burroughs right. always played with edge. But the problem was you had Alex Burroughs do the whole biting thing in game one. And then in game two, he scores the winner. And then in overtime. And then in game one, the winning goal with 18 seconds left was right. scored by, as you mentioned, Rafi Torres. So, it's like right off the jump, there were two guys who are yes. just – known for the wrong reasons in the NHL, basically undoing the Bruins.
1: And then you had guys, too. I mean, the Sedins were wonderfully talented players, but certainly came off as borderline gutless in that series. I don't want to take shots at guys who've played thousands of NHL. You know what I mean? It's kind of hokey, but still, it was not a great look for them. And even got, you know, Bieksa. Kind of a punk sometimes.
0: Yeah, like the Aaron Rome thing, obviously. Aaron Rome,
1: yeah, guys who like you know if I, you could say the same thing if you live in thirty other NHL cities about Brad Marchand, obviously. Yeah, and, right. You know, well
0: even, it's funny too because Roberto Luongo has done a lot to. I don't necessarily want to say repair his image. Yeah. But like with the with the remarks about how Tim Thomas played and everything like that, like he did not make a lot of friends that year and it didn't help that he was tinkling down his leg during that entire series but that was another guy where it's just like he wasn't necessarily a bad person but he would do things where he'd sit there and be like what's the benefit like what is the benefit after game five of launching these harpoons at you know a guy who if the bruins win is going to win the con smite like unequivocally
1: it it's nuts too just looking back on it. it it was the perfect storm like the perfect hockey storm. I don't remember nationally how big it was. I mean, clearly it wasn't on ESPN and stuff. And I don't know how much people paid attention to it. I know in Canada it was an interesting point of contention because like Canadian teams get to the, the cup final. It rarely happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they do, uh, usually the entire country of Canada roots for that team. It was not the case with the Canucks, mm-hmm. right. you know, but people were paying attention to it just like with the, the instant hate between the two teams and with all the certain, all the storylines, it, it is like, it's one of the, what, 10 best Stanley Cup finals of all time?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here. Well, and you, you have to look at the context, too, in terms of like, you know, it had been almost 40 years since the Bruins had won it, the Canucks had right. never won it. Um, you know, it was two very good teams like and with the Bruins too there was an NHL legend in Mark Reckey that you all but certainly knew was going to retire yep. um, like there were just storyline after storyline that would have been fascinating to watch even if you don't add in all the bad blood and Horton going out and all of that stuff and the, and the way Tim Thomas played like just in terms of generic storylines there was so much and then the games only added to that in a big way like even game three was an absolute shellacking but it was still an entertaining game maybe not if you're a Canucks fan but like from a pure hockey standpoint it was you know riveting to watch not riveting to watch Nathan Horton get his clock clean but how the Bruins responded to that and poured eight goals on um so it's just in every regard it was absolutely captivating
1: yeah, like if you were to sit there and try to like power rank the moments in that series, there's just so many little things that you would maybe initially forget about. Like, you know, the Burrow's biting thing obviously stands out, but it's just kind of – I don't know. And then like the next game you had Lucic point, like putting his finger in Burrow's face trying yeah, to get him right. to bite it. But like there was that. There was like the, the Thomas check in the crease. Like there's, right. you know, that- speed bagging Sedin. Like there's just a bunch of little things like that.
0: Honestly, if you had to put like the number one like moment or image or whatever, like if you're putting a statue of the 2011 team yeah. out there in some, you know, in some way, it would have to be Tim Thomas leveling. Um,
1: yeah, that's true. Sadina
0: at the crease. It
1: is a good. I like that. Like I, yeah. What would like? What's the lasting image from that from a Bruins standpoint? Because it's
0: it's emblematic of the series as a whole, right? Like it's Tim Thomas just having his way with a Canucks player. And said Canucks player just so happens to be a Sedin who is completely like his brother neutralized the entire series when he should have been, you know, in the same way that Tim Thomas was undressing the Canucks. That's what they were supposed to be doing to him.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's nuts too. Like the Bruins won four games in that series and Thomas put the, the finishing touches on one of the all-time goaltending runs of any playoffs you know, and there's not one player, one thing that stands out, one goal It's not like they, you know, I mean, it speaks to the fact that they beat the hell out of the Canucks when they won games. So like, it wasn't like there was a big overtime game or a huge game turning save or something. I think that kind of speaks to that, you know, that 2011 Bruins team is that there was not a huge lasting image or moment from that series. It's just when they needed to, they got wins. And when they did, they, they all kind of contributed. It was it was pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, well, and it's funny too to look back. And this is not an effort to minimize what Tim Thomas did that year, but the way he played, there were so many games that the Bruins didn't need him to be nearly as good as he was, yeah. but he turned in these but, like forty save performances, and it's like they went five to one. Yeah, <laughs> and like, but a, at the
1: same, at the same time too, though there were plenty of games where like, uh, was, game
0: seven against Tampa.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's... even there, he made a couple saves in Game Seven early that you're like, oh yeah, I would you know you forget about that because the final score is four nothing. Made right. a couple big ones. I think it was Game Four. Was it Game Four? Or game Six? I think he made a couple big saves in the first five minutes when like it might have been Game Six because like the Canucks obviously came out with a, a push because you get a chance to win the Stanley Cup, you know? Right. And, and I remember too watching rewatching that game. A ton of Canucks fans at the Garden that night. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, me so, but he made a couple saves early on that kind of almost get forgotten compared to like the Downey save or something earlier yeah. in the or the you know, a couple big ones in the Montreal thing. So, um, you know, that's just uh, yeah, it just takes it. I think looking back and rewatching it, it gives you an understanding and appreciation of how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup and like how many. Big moments you need to have, and how many guys need to come up big at certain times to, to win a cup.
0: Well, and that 2011 Bruins team, this stat stunned me, and I just forgot that it existed. Was they were the first team to win the cup after winning three game sets? Like they were the first team that required at least three game sets. It's hard, yeah, yeah, and it's like you, you forget that. Like, okay, they mauled the Flyers, but like there were so many points throughout that entire postseason run where it's like, they could have just been done. I mean, they go down 2-0 to the Canucks. They go down 2-0 to the Canadians. They get to, you know, a game seven yeah. against the Canadians. They get to a game seven against the Lightning. They get to a game seven against the Canucks. Like there were so many times where it just, if one thing goes even the slightest bit of miss, then they're done. Um, but again, very much a testament to what that team was and and you know David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron and Zdeno Chara they were all you know established NHLers at that point. But you look at you know kind of to reiterate an earlier point, Brad Marchand, Tyler Sagan like some of those younger guys, just you didn't realize obviously how good they ultimately were going right. to become. But then you look at that team now and you're like, well, it's a shock they win 82 games that year.
1: It's gonna be funny when it's all said and done and we're gonna look back at. I mean there's gonna be six or seven Hall of Famers out of that series. Assuming both Sadines get in. I yeah. think that's their only Luongo. Yeah. Luongo will yeah. Luongo
0: probably, will Hall probably, Hall probably get in.
1: But then I mean if you want to count Rask in that, technically he'll probably mm-hmm. get in, but like Reki, Chara, Bergeron, Marshawn's on a you know, upward trajectory toward that, like that's Sagan. Yeah. There's a lot. It's pretty cool. Yeah, um, what's – all right, before we get out of here, what's the last – what's the – I don't know. What do you think of – what do you think of first – what will you think of first in 20 years from now when you think of the 2011 Bruins?
0: Honestly, it would probably have to be game three of the Stanley Cup final because that one had – it had a little bit of everything, and I do think it was a, an overall representation of the series. Like there was a series-altering moment with the Horton hit. Yeah. Um, you know, For a while, there was still the, the finger-biting thing going on at that point. Um, that third period was very contentious, but when the dust settled, the, the Bruins, in a moment that they needed, ended up just completely steamrolling. Um, yeah the Canucks so that even to this day whenever I think about that series the first thing that typically comes to mind is game three and how at that point everything changed I mean they were down 2-0 in the series at that point like it really was they needed that game so badly and they lost one of their best scorers minutes into the game and ultimately did not end up being overly phased by it
1: yeah I think for me it's just a more general thing and it kind of speaks to what you were just saying it's part of it it's just every time they desperately needed a win and desperately needed to play well for a team that let's be honest had pooped itself one year earlier and had yeah. a you know a bit of a reputation for choking yeah. every time they got close to choking again they turned into world beaters it was like the resilience and the, the guts i think is what's going to kind of stand out and the the game seven stat points to that and you know, winning it you know, winning that series after falling down two o to Vancouver, winning the series after falling down two oh to Montreal and having to go up to the Bell Center, it's just I think that type of stuff grows. The legend grows as the years go on.
0: Well, and they really didn't get a ton of breaks thrown their way yeah. either. You know, like okay, a lot of guys on the Canucks clearly were playing hurt, like losing right. the Canucks losing Dan Ham Hughes in game one hurt. But like otherwise, it, the Bruins were playing some pretty complete teams. Um, you know, they they were missing Bergeron for the beginning of the Tampa series. Like, yeah. Dan Hamhuis and Sean Bergenheim were probably the two like notable players that they ended up dodging. And the Bergenheim thing was just because he was on a meteoric stretch during that postseason. Um,
1: and I will say too, it's if one of the takeaways from that Zoom call Tuesday night is that they somebody either. I think they mentioned it on TV, like the Canucks injuries.
0: Oh, Reckie got pissed.
1: Yeah, a few Bruins, you know, piped up real fast saying, like, you know, they weren't the only ones dealing with injuries. So, I think there's stuff there that we – I mean, there always is, you know. Yeah, right. There's always stuff there. That – and I think it's important, too, before we get out of here. Like, I was going to say my second thing is just Tim Thomas playing one of the best – it's like Brady-esque in terms of a playoff run or David Ortiz in terms of – Almost you know, better in
0: some senses, considering how, how much he played.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, he, you could make, there's like a five or six minute video reel on YouTube of like Tim Thomas' 2011 playoff highlights, which is nuts when yeah. you're considering it's what, 25 games of, of footage? Like, he's, he made every big save he needed to. What, how many soft goals? do you remember a few other, he, other than, he you know, started slow
0: in, he started slow in the Montreal series true yeah but otherwise was
1: I mean and he was making like you know two-on-one breakaway saves yeah I mean, the, I mean the downy save is sick like that honestly could be like if you want to look at a statue like moment that's that's up there like
0: just well, him diving
1: across it's just another thing too is is-
0: I mean, Tuka Rask was the backup then, and he did not play a minute that postseason. Like, they never had to pull Tim Thomas, which is absurd when you consider especially how much we saw Corey Schneider during that series. And um, who is – oh, and Sergey Bobrovsky uh, backing up uh, Brian Elliott – or Brian Boucher in Philly. Like, the Bruins saw a lot of backup goalies (laughs) during that series because they were chasing the starter. And I, they chased Dwayne Rolston a couple times. It was like, Tim Thomas never was faced. Like he never got himself in such a pinch that they were like, "All right, we're we're gonna go to Tuca."
1: Which you know, also a testament to the to the D. The, you know, I think Tuca was making jokes about that Tuesday night, saying like, uh, "Another turnover right in front." Of, you know, what a, <laughs> I don't know how you did it with these guys, but yeah, I mean.
0: There's one turnover that I'll never forget in game three. I forget who he gave it to, but Adam McQuaid had the puck at the end boards, and he didn't even look, and he just backhanded a pass. This is in the defensive zone. He just back, blindly backhanded a pass right into the slot, and it got picked off and unsurprisingly, and Thomas was waiting right there. And it's like, yeah. I get it. that Adam McQuaid was like 21 or 22 at the time, but still it's just like complete boneheadedness sometimes that they completely got away with.
1: Yeah. Yeah uh boy was young too i think he said 24 um what else was I gonna say oh and also real quick i mean char and ciderberg 20 minutes a game unbelievable it's
0: horses nuts. absolute yeah. work horses
1: just nuts so that's another thing too that we'll probably get forgotten like that's going to be a thing where people of our generation will be in a bar assuming we ever get to go back to bars in like 25 years from now they would be like let me tell you about this dennis seidenberg guy like you know char gets all the credit but
0: well, every now and again in the playoffs, you'll see some guy get run out there for like you know 27 minutes or something yeah. like that. And you'll be like, oh, my God, look at that. Uh, I mean, shoot, how long did the Thomas Shabbat playing as much as yeah. he did stay in the news cycle and like what the Oilers did with Seidel and McDavid? But like Char and Seidenberg were playing well north of 25 minutes with a good bit of regularity.
1: Yep um they weren't young either at the time no
0: no Charo was what 34 and yeah seidenberg's right around there too i think he was a couple years younger he was probably he was past 30
1: though i No, seidenberg was 29 he might have turned 30 that year um and then yeah Charo was um, still i don't care who you
0: are that's i was 33
1: 34 yeah it's nuts it's just it's insane um the fact that char is still going to is.
0: yeah that's also weird to watch
1: so all right um well, this has been enjoyable. I could do this for. I honestly could do this for like two more hours.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we keep going. Wait, one more thing. Yeah. More I
1: know. Thing. <laughs> well, I feel bad because I don't want to be done and be like, oh man, we should have talked about you know so and so because it's just such a. It was a team effort. It was, uh, yeah. Um, easily the best Bruins team of my lifetime uh, so far. So, and I, you know, I've been here a while. So.
0: Yeah. Well, here's here's what we'll do when it's. I forget what day it was that they clinched. uh, June June fifteenth, something like that. When it's June fifteenth and we still don't have any live sports, we're like, "What are we going to do for a podcast?" We'll we'll take copious notes over the next nearly two months and be like, "Here's what we got," and then just run it for three uninterrupted
1: hours. Uh, All right. Um, So I guess we'll be back next week. We still have. We've been teasing your interviews. Yes, those
0: those are happening now. So I'm going to determine the schedule off the top of my head. Right now, next week, uh, Jack Ashan, the okay. defenseman at the Bruins side, the college free agent from St. Cloud State, we'll do that next week, uh, and then we have probably Johnny Beecher, the 2019 first round pick, the week after, and then the following week would be Jack Becker, who is a seventh round pick in 2015, I believe, but like, he's also been playing at Michigan. He's going into his senior year, so he's got one more year left with the Wolverines. So I have interviews with all three of them and uh, we'll find something to talk about in the interim to lead up to those interviews. But starting next week and the next three weeks, we will have uh, some, some nice fresh stuff.
1: Sounds good. Hopefully we'll soon be preparing to uh, preview the Stanley cup playoffs as well. Uh, Maybe right up the road in, uh, in New Hampshire. Maybe I can be, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Maybe I can com's New Hampshire correspondent and just be stuck in Manchester. You
0: you do live not that far from. Yeah.
1: I could see it from here. I could see it from my house. (laughs) Um, Yeah. All right. Cool. This has been the Nesson.com podcast. I'm Mike. That's Logan. We'll uh, we'll be back again next week, maybe, probably. Uh, Until then, wash your hands and and keep your distance, people. Uh, see See you in a week. See you.